0: I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Philippians. And just before Easter, we finished our study of the book of Jeremiah, and Phil also finished his study on the book of Judges. Now, I have been blessed through both of those studies, but I would say that those are two, shall we say, pretty dark books, (laughs) maybe the two darkest books in the Bible. We learned a lot through them, but as I was thinking of where we would go next in the Bible, I, I knew I wanted to go to the New Testament, and I wanted to go something a little lighter and uh, quite a bit brighter and a little shorter, too. So Philippians fits all of those things. In fact, Philippians is so encouraging and uplifting that I wouldn't be surprised if many of us here would say it is your favorite book in the Bible, if you are allowed to have favorite books in the Bible. It is short, positive, positive encouraging and helpful. But the thing that I think makes people love it so much is actually how personal it is. Now when I say this little letter is personal, I'm thinking of this from two different angles. The first is that Paul talks a lot about himself in the book of Philippians. I think more than maybe he does in any other writing of his. He talks about how he thinks He talks about how he lives, what he values, how he processes his past, how he processes his suffering, how he thinks even about death. For example, perhaps you've heard verses like these, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ or my goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and it is to share in his sufferings and to be made like him even in his death or I have learned the secret of being content. Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I have plenty or nothing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul opens up his heart in a special way in this letter, and there's some reasons that that he does that, but I think this is one of the reasons we're drawn to the letter because of how personal it is but it's also personal from a different aspect. You got Paul unveiling kind of his own heart in the letter, but it's also really personal in the sense that Paul's love for the Philippians and the Philippians' love for him are woven throughout the whole letter. These are people that he knows and loves, and they know and love him. And this sets it apart from some of his other letters. Their relationship with one another has also stood the test of time, which also sets it apart from other letters. Because a lot of Paul's letters were written to people who were not doing well, and so he had to confront them about a lot of things. And a lot of his letters were written right after he was there, like within a few months after he started the church. But that is not the way it is with a letter to the Philippians. This letter is written about 12 years after he planted the church in Philippi. And their relationship has continued for 12 years and has stood the test of time. And so their their love for one another comes out throughout the letter, maybe more than any of the other letters that Paul wrote. And just to see a little bit of this, you can look at the text in Philippians. So just just to get a feel for this, look at Philippians chapter one and look at verse three. Paul says, Philippians 1, 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Like that phrase, from the first day until now. A lot of time has passed between the first day and this day, and their partnership has stood the test of time. Then look down at verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. Have you ever felt... Or said anything like that about your brothers and sisters. I hope we experience some of that, but, I mean, this is deep, heartfelt language. It's like, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I yearn for you with the love of Jesus. And then jump over to the fourth chapter, so the end of the, towards the end of the book. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for. Because he's he's under arrest, and he's been that way for a long time. We're going to talk about that later. It says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. The love and affection are hard to miss. But again, this was not a one-way relationship, though. Paul begins and ends the letter by talking about the Philippians' love for him. And so look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. They're just down a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And then he clarifies, you were indeed concerned for me, but you just didn't have the opportunity to help. So something has happened where they've had a chance to step in and help him recently, and that's what leads to the letter. Now, what did they do? Look at verse 18, chapter 4, verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, which were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What had they done? They sent Paul gifts through one of their own church members, Epaphroditus. And Paul knew that the gifts that they sent him were sacrificial and extremely generous. And he knew they sent them because they loved him. And so this letter is personal in two ways, in Paul unveiling his own heart and and how he thinks, but also because of the deep connection between him and the Philippians. And I think even if you didn't know some of that, that is actually maybe why we're drawn so much to the letter. Now, I also hope you've realized just from this that there is a lot of backstory to this particular letter. In other words, this is not the kind of letter where Paul needs to introduce himself to the readers. Uh, Or he doesn't have to tell them what he's been up to lately. Like, they already know that. They know him and they have been keeping up with him. They know what's been going on in his life. But But I think our problem when we read the letter is we might not know those things as well. A lot of that's implied. Like they, It was shared knowledge between Paul and the Philippians, but we don't know it naturally. And so I want to help us with this today. So what I want to do the rest of today is I want to walk through the story of Paul so that when you read this letter, or maybe any letter by Paul, you'll be able to see how the, letter, the letters, but specifically this letter, fits into the larger story of of his life. And to help with this, I'm going to put a timeline of Paul's life on the PowerPoint. So we're going to kind of step back from Philippians and actually look at the whole story of Paul from birth to death. And along the way, we'll dip into a few texts, especially from the book of Acts. And so you could go over to the book of Acts, if you want, at this point, as we walk through the story together. And then uh, there is there are handouts that have the outline basically in Spanish on it, if you needed that. They were backed by the translation devices. So now, before we get to Paul and when he was born, I think it's helpful to kind of think of his life in relation to another Jewish man that was really important at the time, and that would be Jesus, okay? Because do you, do you, I don't know if you've ever thought, like, how old were they? Like, were they about the same age? What do you think? You know, this, so I want to start with the birth of Jesus, okay? So, so. On the timeline here, we've got the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem around the year 4 BC. Now, some of these dates are a little bit debated, but generally, this is the way it is. Okay, so Jesus is born in Bethlehem to Joseph and Mary in the land of Israel around 4 BC. Okay, but what about Paul? And I know he was known better as Saul at this time, but for the sake of being easy, I'm going to call him Paul, okay, throughout the day today, okay? So, when was Paul born? Any ideas? Like, think about in relation to Jesus, Maybe, you may not know the specific year, but do you envision Paul as older, younger, or the same age as Jesus? I think he was a little younger, a little younger, okay? So, I think Paul was born around the year 5 A.D., okay, A.D., okay, so not B.C., before, okay, 5, so that means he was about 8 to 10 years older, or Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, was about 8 to 10 years older than Paul, okay. Now, like Jesus, Paul was also fully Jewish, born to Jewish parents, but Jesus and Paul were not from the same tribe, so Jesus was from which tribe? The tribe of Judah, where the promised king was to come from. But Paul, he was from the tribe of what? Of Benjamin. Maybe that's how he got the name Saul. Because King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. (laughs) Now, Paul describes himself in that way in Philippians. Uh, Maybe you've heard this verse. This is in Philippians 3. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrew parents, okay? But I want to keep thinking about it. Do you know where he was born? So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Paul is born where? Jesus is born in the land of Israel. Paul is not born in the land of Israel. Where is he born? So, this is where you think of Saul. Saul of Tarsus, okay? So the birth of Paul in Tarsus, 5 AD. Now I'm going to put a map up here okay, about this, okay? So, on the map, you can, and I won't be able to, like, show you very easily, so you just have to find it there. But you see Tarsus, okay? See where Jerusalem is? Down on the bottom, the bottom right, okay, Jerusalem, Bethlehem is only a few miles away from there. Uh, Tarsus is, like, straight north up there, okay? That's where Paul uh, was born. It was, in the, it was in a Roman province, <clears throat> and as you can see, this is not far from where the massive earthquake just hit two months ago in Turkey. Okay, now, what are some of the implications of Paul growing up in a Roman city? Because this is very different than Jesus growing up in Nazareth, for example, or the, his early couple years in, in Bethlehem. <clears throat> okay, For one thing, Paul would have known what language from childhood. Paul knew Greek uh, most likely from, from childhood. And for another, Paul would have known what Gentiles were like far better than Jews who lived only around other Jews. Okay? But one last thing I should mention about Paul's birth in Tarsus is that Paul himself says that he was born as a Roman citizen. And that was really rare for Jews in his day. For, for Paul to be born as a citizen means that his parents were also Roman citizens. No one is sure how that happened. But in God's plan for Paul, this became an important piece in his life, that he was fully Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. And that will become very important in the letter to the Philippians, where citizenship is prized. But we will wait for future weeks on that. Now, at some point, Paul moves from Tarsus down to Jerusalem, at least temporarily. We're not sure exactly why, but it opened up new doors for Paul. For example, Paul may have already known the Hebrew language from his family, but certainly during those years he lived down in Jerusalem. He would have gotten to know the Hebrew language, which had been Aramaic at the time, really well. But he also got the opportunity to study under one of the most well-known Jewish scholars of his day, a Jewish man who is still known in Jewish circles today, a man by the name of Gamaliel. We don't know how long Paul lived there or studied in Jerusalem, so I just noted a couple of the years that seem pretty sure. So this would be from the time he's like 10 years old to 15 years old. Paul lived not in Tarsus, but down in Jerusalem. And he studied under one of the leading scholars of his day. And if you want to see this, you can look at Acts chapter 22 and look at verse 3. Because everything I'm saying, I'm trying to ground it in in the text. Okay, So Acts 22, verse 3, Paul is describing his childhood. And he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city of Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of Moses, the law of our fathers, being zealous for God. And so it looks like Paul has everything going for him from at this time. I mean, Paul has perfect Jewish pedigree. He also had Roman citizenship, which very few Jews would have had. He had the best education. He was at least, at least bilingual. He had experience living both outside the land of Israel and inside the land of Israel, and he had great zeal for the law. Now, for the rest of Paul's teens and early 20s, (coughs) we don't know much. Other than that, he seems to pick up a trade. And what trade was that? He seems to pick up the trade of being a tent maker or perhaps a leather Worker, there's some debate about that. But what we know is that when Paul was about 25 years of age, something tragic and glorious happened to the other guy we're talking about, to Jesus. Okay. So the crucifixion and, Je- uh, and resurrection of Jesus happens when Paul's about 25 years of age. Now, there's a lot we could say about those events. We have been thinking a lot about them over Easter. The last couple of weeks. And this is something we rejoice in every Sunday, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But for our purposes today, what we can say is that Paul affirmed only one of those two things at this time. He absolutely denied the other. See, Paul would have affirmed the crucifixion of Jesus, that it happened But also, I wouldn't be surprised if Paul celebrated the crucifixion of Jesus as God's justice against an imposter. And he would have absolutely denied the resurrection of Jesus. And so, when many Jews began to follow Jesus' teaching and to preach that Jesus was the Messiah who died for our sins and was raised from the dead, Paul became Paul the persecutor. And Paul saw that as a clear sign of his love for God. Paul says in Philippians, As for zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And we're introduced to this part of Paul's life in the book of Acts chapter 7, and I want you to look at it. Acts chapter 7, it's in a story about the first man who ever died for following Jesus, after Jesus. You could say John the Baptist died for his connection to Jesus, but this man is the first Christian to die for following Jesus. His name is Stephen. Stephen preaches to to other Jewish people, calling them out for rejecting Jesus, the one God sent to save them. And look at what happens. This is in Acts chapter 7, verse 57. Acts seven fifty-seven. <laughs> this is the response to his sermon. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at Stephen. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And then the writer wants you to know this, that the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And look at chapter 8, verse 1, the next line. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And look at verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He saw Stephen die. He approved of it. He heard the things Stephen said, and it did not lead to him repenting. It led to him becoming even more zealous to destroy Jesus and the people who followed him. Now, we don't know exactly how long Saul, Paul did this, but it's something like this. Paul, the persecutor, from something like 31 to 33. It's at least over a year, it would seem. Paul travels from place to place. This is his mission in life, to travel from one location to another, trying to destroy the church, trying to stop Jesus. And this continued until the day Jesus stopped Paul. And you read about it in the very next chapter, in the first verse, Acts chapter 9, Verse one, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, because that's how they would often talk about Christianity at the time, maybe Jesus' statement, I am the way. So this is saying, if they could find anybody belonging to the way, men or women, he could bring them out, bound to Jerusalem. Now, as Paul went on his way, this is 9-3, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus stops Paul in his tracks and changes his life. This is the Damascus Road in 33 AD. Now, Paul describes that event on several occasions later in his life. And I love what he says, just a little bit of what he says. In 1 Timothy, he he describes it. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and and an arrogant man, I was shown mercy because I had acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. And he says, and this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Or in Philippians, Paul describes what was going on in his heart. He says it like this. He says, whatever gain I thought I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Jesus. But Jesus did not just call Paul to be a Christian that day on the Damascus Road. Jesus called Paul to be a missionary that day. Jesus called him to preach Jesus to the Gentiles for the rest of his life. And from here on, I'll just kind of tell the story more quickly. We'll we'll look at it more in upcoming weeks. but, But from what I can tell, it was shortly before Paul turned 30 that Jesus crashed his life and immediately after that, he began preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. We don't know a lot about the next 14 years of Paul's life. You might not realize that, but we know very little about his first 14 years as a follower of Jesus. We know he spent some time in Arabia, and we know he went back home to Tarsus for a good portion of that time, but we don't really know what happened in those places. That's why those 14 years of Paul's life are often called the unknown years. Now things continued that way until God began to do a special work in one specific church in a city called Antioch where people were called for the very first time Christians. In the city of Antioch for perhaps the first time There was a church that was being filled with both Jews and Gentiles who were worshiping together. And so what happens is one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, a guy named Barnabas, is sent down there to check it out because this had not been happening. It's like 15 years plus after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and this had not been happening. And so Barnabas goes down to check it out. And when he sees it, he sees all these Jews and all these Gentiles worshiping Jesus together. Barnabas remembered Saul, Paul. He knew him already. And he knew that Jesus wanted Paul to go to the Gentiles. And so he goes and he finds Paul. And he says, Paul, you've got to see this. And he brings Paul back with him to Antioch. And for the next year, Paul and Barnabas just serve in that church together in Antioch. And this leads to the phase of Paul's life that we're actually the most familiar with. It begins in Acts chapter 13 verse 1. Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 1. <clears throat> it says now there were this is Acts 13:1. Now there were in the church at Antioch Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. And that began the life that we know of Paul, of Paul the missionary, from 48 to 57. It was a 10-year period of his life that we would think of as Paul the missionary. And the work happened in three phases or three journeys. Each one is described in the next chapters of Acts. That's the story in the book of Acts from that point on for like the next seven or eight chapters, but I'll just put this up there on the screen. He goes out on first journey, second journey, third journey, if you're interested in the dates. We're not going to go into great detail on this, but I want to talk you through what happened just on, by looking at the map. Okay? So on the map, can you see where Antioch is? Just to the south of Tarsus. Okay? That is the Antioch that, was, that became Paul's home. That was his home church. That church sent him and Barnabas out to go to places that had never heard the gospel and to plant new churches. And the first place they went to, if you can see it in the middle of Turkey, was Galatia. You see that? They went to the south part of Galatia and they planted the churches of Galatia. He almost died. On that he was I mean they were treated horribly in some of those cities he was Paul himself was stoned in one of those cities and left for dead in one of the cities of Galatia they spend a year and a half maybe on that journey and they come home to Antioch and give a report then they go out on another journey but Paul and Barnabas actually split up you could read about this in Acts and Paul takes another guy with him a guy named Silas And Paul and Silas, they go out on another journey. (laughs) They visit the same churches again, but they don't want to stay there. They want to go to new cities that have never heard the gospel. And do you know where they go on the second journey? They go to a region called Macedonia. Can you see it? It's like across the water. And, And do you know what the first city they went to? When they crossed that water, the very first city they went to, this is in the year 50, they went to Philippi a Roman colony, and they planted the church in Philippi. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16, or you can come back to church the next two weeks when we look at that, at that story. But they go through a lot of cities. They go to Philippi, Thessalonica, they go down to, to Athens, <clears throat> to Corinth, and eventually they go home. And then he goes out on one more journey, and he spends three years in the biggest city up there, the most important one, the city of Ephesus. He spends almost the whole third journey in the city of Ephesus. And then at the end of that journey, he goes to Jerusalem to drop off a big gift to the Jewish believers. And you know what happens? Paul gets arrested. It did not go the way that Paul wanted. And so Paul gets arrested. And the next thing you know, you have Paul the prisoner for years. He's sent up to a place called Caesarea, and he sits there in prison for two years. After two years, of reali- and he, after he's realized, like this is not going anywhere, because the governor was wanting him to bribe him, Paul says, all right, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to appeal directly to Caesar. And so they send him on a boat ride, it goes, he gets shipwrecked, but eventually he gets to Rome, and what does he do in Rome? He sits under house arrest, for two whole years waiting to stand before Caesar. Now, when that whole time period, you're now in the year 62, okay? When this whole time period is just about over, somebody shows up that Paul hasn't seen in a long time. He shows up with a lot of gifts from a church that really, really loved him This guy was named Epaphroditus. He was from the church in Philippi. He traveled about a thousand miles to bring gifts from the church in Philippi to remind Paul how much they loved him. That is what led to the writing of the letter to the Philippians, which maybe explains why it's so heartfelt and so personal. But I don't want to stop quite there, right there in the story because I want to go further. What what happens to Paul after this? The way I see things, what happens next is Paul stands before Nero, the emperor, in the year 62 and what does Nero decide? The way I read it and understand church history, Nero lets him go. Paul then is allowed to travel for a little bit longer. And then around the year 64, Nero turns on the Christians. And one of the very first things Nero does is he finds Paul, arrests him for the last time. And this is where, when Paul's in that prison, he knows for sure what's gonna happen to him. And that's when he writes, his final letter that Jordan read from this morning. He writes his last letter to the young man he had mentored, to the young man who he called his son in the faith, Timothy. And do you remember some of the things he tells him in that letter? He says, as for you, Timothy, preach the word. Keep a clear head. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your call. And then he says, why? He says, because I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And you could describe that as Paul's final imprisonment and execution. Because right after he writes that letter, Nero sentences him to death. Paul was not crucified like Peter was. Paul, because he's a Roman citizen, can't be crucified. But he's beheaded. He dies a horrible death in around AD 65. This is the story of Paul. He lives about 60 years. And I wanted to walk through it to help us for the study of Philippians, but I also wanted to walk through it because I just wanted you to hear it. I'm a story guy. And the older I get, the more I realize how much we need to know the stories of the heroes of our faith. And I don't know if you ever had a chance to hear his story all at once. And what struck you about the story of Paul's 60 years? Here are three things God has reminded me of through rehearsing Paul's story. One, God is sovereign over our life stories. even from before we were born. When you hear Paul's story, it's obvious that God arranged his life, his family, his background, his education, his experiences, so that his life would lead to God's glory. At the beginning, it looked like it was going to lead to Paul's glory. But God orchestrated Paul's life so it would lead to God's glory. And God knows how to orchestrate our lives, too. He is sovereign over our life stories, both the good parts and the bad parts, both the things you want to write home about and the things you don't want to tell anybody about. And that's really one of the things that struck me this week. It's that God used even Paul's terribly sinful past to make Paul the man God wanted him to be. And do you think Paul ever wished later in life that he would not have done the things he did to the followers of Jesus? How could he not have wished that? And yet, God had the power to use even Paul's sinful past for his own glory. And perhaps you, like so many of us, still grieve often over your many past sins. I've been reminded through the story of Paul that we can trust that God can even use the sins and sorrows of our past for his own glory. God is sovereign over our life stories, both the good and the bad, the joys and the sorrows, and God is a great story writer. A second thing, the story of Paul has reminded me that God can save anyone. If Paul could be saved, we should not write anyone off. There was, I don't think, a single person in the world that you would have thought would have been more less, less likely to be saved, to give his life to Jesus. And I think this is part of why Paul never shied away from telling his story. Now, it's not like Paul lived in the past or or just went on and on about all his past sins, but Paul did not shy away from telling people his story and admitting who he used to be. He wanted people to know the overwhelming grace of God toward him, and he wanted people to know from his own story that they could be saved by Christ too. That's why he says things like, this is a trustworthy st- saying that Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. If Christ could do this for me, could he not do this for you? I mean, Paul was responsible for the arrest, the beating, the imprisonment, and very likely even the death of many followers of Jesus. He saw Stephen die, and he liked it. And yet Christ died for him anyway. And then at the right time, while Paul was trying to stop Jesus, Jesus stopped Paul and washed all his sins away and chose not to hold a single one against him. Perhaps you needed to hear Paul's story today because you doubt whether God's mercy is wide enough for you. God's grace is greater than all our sin. There is no person beyond the reach of God's mercy or of Christ's outstretched arms. If you will turn in repentance from your sin to Jesus, he will never turn you away, regardless of what is in your past. And then lastly, I wanted to take us all the way to the end of the story of Paul, beyond Philippians, because I wanted us just to think what it would be like to finish well. What would it be like to have the chance to write to your child or to your child in the faith and to be able to say, I know the time for my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. So now it's your turn, go out and run. How do you end up there at the end of your life? I think the book of Philippians has some of the best answers to that question anywhere in the Bible, because Paul unveils how he thought in this letter more than he does, I think, in any other letter. And it is the answer to how you get there. And so I look forward to studying the letter together in the upcoming weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the stories. Most of all, the story of Jesus. But I thank you for the story of those who've gone before us, whom Jesus has saved. People like our brother Paul. And I pray that through the reflections today on his story that you will encourage us as you continue to write our story. That we might find in Jesus the same mercy and grace that Paul found. That we might go out for Jesus and tell people what great things Jesus has done for us and what he could do for others. We pray this in his name. Amen.